All right. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Amos. The book of Amos. Uh, we've uh, we've been going through uh, some of these uh, these these Old Testament prophets, specifically the minor prophets. And there's there's a lot that contains. You go through some of those minor prophets, and you're like, "What did I just read?" And they they, they read a lot like Ezekiel. They they read a lot to like some of the other prophets, trying to match some things up. And, and, and it's important for us to understand that there's a lot of prophecy that's in there. There's a lot of prophecy that's been fulfilled. There's a lot of what are referred to as dual prophecies, where something has happened in the past that will happen again. Um, so again, there's a lot of that prophecy. We haven't been talking much about that, but what we've been focusing on is some of the important principles that we get from these books. It's not all just prophecy of, of that we can go, okay, well, that's going to happen later on. I don't need to worry about that. Or that's already happened to the nation of Israel. I don't need to worry about that. These are all things that have profitable doctrine for us as believers, and I want us to focus on that. We're going to look at Amos. I, I, I personally like Amos as a prophet. Uh, he's, he's got a very interesting background. He's uh, the book is very similar to some of the, his contemporaries with Hosea and even Jeremiah and Isaiah. Um, but uh, we find some of the similar uh, things happening and occurring that uh, are, are at that time. The, the prophecies and the judgments that are coming upon the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, uh, all of those things that we see. But there is a key verse in all of the book of Amos that is a very important principle for us as Christians, for anybody that calls themselves a believer. And we're going to focus on that this morning. But let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time. I thank you again, Lord, for your word. I thank you again for uh, just uh, uh, giving us something that we can learn from in Scripture. Lord, I thank you again for the examples that you've put forth. I thank you again, Lord, for the encouragement to do that which is righteous and holy in your sight. I thank you again for what you give us, the strength and the necessary mind and wisdom to accomplish that will that is perfect and holy. And Lord, I just pray that this uh, this morning, as we focus on what you've given us from the book of Amos, that Lord, we'd understand this. That Lord, we'd take a look at this man who is simply just living his life, pleasing unto you. And Lord, you used him in a mighty way to deliver a very simple and plain message. I thank you again, Lord, that uh, you would preserve that for us. I thank you again for your Holy Spirit that would teach us the principles behind this book. Thank you for those that are here. And Lord, I pray for those that cannot be here. And I, I pray, Lord, that they would be able to return back to us healthy and safe. And again, Lord, I just pray that this time would be honoring unto you and pleasing in your sight. That, Lord, we would um, please you by being yielded to you. And we would honor you by recognizing who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you have given to us, above all salvation that we have through you. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the book of Amos, uh, it, it, it starts off, obviously, uh, in verse 1. It says, the words of Amos 
who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, this is a very interesting kind of, if you will, introduction to the book, because he's talking about this earthquake, and this earthquake that took place was a very, uh, uh, it's a very mentioned event for the nation of Israel. As you go through and you start looking at it, that earthquake was a very big earthquake. Uh, it's documented in other historical uh, um, uh, 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 documents from other cultures. Uh, this earthquake was one that caused significant damage, significant death toll, uh, significant um, problems throughout that entire Middle East region. This, is, this would be the equivalent of uh, having a 10-point earthquake in uh, California, down there in, in either San Diego, San Francisco, or L.A. That would spread and spread fast, and people would know about it. And this is again talking about this, this, uh, this prophecy. And I want to point this out that this prophecy wasn't written down until afterwards because it's talking about a future event that hadn't taken place two years before the earthquake. So obviously we have the earthquake happen and then somebody said, Hey, we need to write down what Amos said. And this is an important principle because when we begin to realize who Amos is, Amos was not some great orator. Amos was not some individual that was this uh, high priest or, uh, uh, if you will, somebody like Samuel or Joshua. Amos was just a regular guy. Take a look at chapter 7, and I want to point this out because there's something that's very important with with the way that he describes what happens here. In Amos chapter 7, after he gets rebuked, if you will, by Amaziah, this priest who is rebuking him incorrectly, in verse 14 it says, Then answered Amos and said unto Amaziah, I was, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman, and a gatherer, a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, go prophesy now, or go prophesy unto uh, my people, Israel. Now, I-, I want us to think about this for a second. He's just an average blue-collar worker. There's nothing special about him. Goes out there and picks sycamore fruit. Kind of, you know, again, a mind-numbing job. It's not, it's not like you're attending to the tree or anything. You just go out there and there's fruit, you pick it. I mean, I'm not trying to, to, to demean that, uh, that profession in any way, shape, or form, but it's a simple profession. He just walks along, you see the fruit, pick it, put it in the box, pick it, put it in the box, pick it, put it in the box, pick it, put it in the box. Repeats over and over and over again. His other job that he had, the primary one, was he was a herdman. He's out there and he's kind of wrangling sheep. Now that one takes a little bit more thought. Because you got to make sure the sheep are getting fed and you got to make sure the sheep are getting watered. And as we looked at the the shepherd's psalm in Psalm 23, we, we saw that there's a lot that's involved in being a shepherd. There's a lot of care for the sheep. There's a lot of understanding of what the sheep are. But again, it's a very simple job. 
And here he is, just this very simple man, simple background, and the Lord saw fit to take him. I want you to keep that that, that phrase in mind, because that's what he says. He says right there in in that, that verse, it says in verse 15, and the Lord took me. There he is, just kind of doing his thing, and the Lord comes alongside and says, you're mine, come with me. He takes him. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He's obviously doing something right that the Lord would use him as that mouthpiece. And and, and I like this mentality because as he's being criticized for the message that he's delivering, a message of judgment, a message of God will punish sin, a message of you need to stop, you need to repent, God's not happy with you, He's kind of of the, the the nature of, you don't like my message? Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. I can go back to whatever job I was doing before. He probably did. The end of all of this, we don't see Amos being used like Daniel. We don't see Amos being used over and over again like Ezekiel was. We just see him come, and we see him go. But his words are recorded here. His words are recorded. Somebody somebody was listening. Somebody wrote it down. And when we think about this for a moment, we think about all of the prophecy that he was focusing on, and he focuses a bit on the kingdom of Israel because that's where Amaziah was from. That's the northern kingdom. And if you take a look there in verse 13 of chapter 7, it says, uh, again, to just back up to verse 10, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, (coughs) excuse me, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus saith Amos, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall be led away captive out of their own land. And Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more in Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Now if you remember, that was one of the places that uh, uh, um, when Jeroboam came and uh, set up his uh, um, his uh, kingdom, that he put those two calves over there to be worshipped, because he didn't want anybody going to Jerusalem. And here we find that in this area over by Samaria, this is where he was setting this up. This 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 priest is like no. You go, you go, you go, you go to tell that to the, you know, the, 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 over there in Judah. You don't need to bring that message here because we're not going to listen to it. And I want you to understand something. Here he is. He's, he's focusing on uh, Israel. He does mention Judah and he does mention uh, some judgment coming upon them. But here, here he is specifically in the kingdom of Israel and they're saying, we don't want this. We don't want this. And, and, and I want to point some things out. 
this is typically what happens. We see that, that, that God shows and reveals the heart of the people, what the people knew. Turn to chapter 2 in the book of Amos, chapter 2. And I want you to see here as he goes through and he begins saying these things in verse 4. It says, Thus saith the Lord, for thee, uh, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments and their lies caused them to err after the which their fathers have walked. Here he is, he's, he's prophesying specifically about Judah in this case, but I want you to understand something. He's saying the law was known. The law was known. They just despised it. They knew what the commandment said. They just didn't care to listen to them. They didn't care to keep them. There he is, listen, you know, if you will, pointing out their flaws. And I will tell you this, every Christian needs to understand this. We may think that we have a good understanding of what the, what the Word of God says, but if it is despised in our heart, if it is something that is put down, it has not been kept, it will cause you to err. Why? Because you will begin to lie to yourself. You'll deceive yourself. So what he begins to point out there in, in, in verse 4, chapter 2. These lies caused them to err. They knew what the truth was. They just chose not to listen to it. Take a look at what happens with this in verse 6 of the same chapter. Thus saith the Lord uh, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteousness for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. Here's one of the reasons why social... Uh, uh, if you will, gospel and social things don't work. Because in order for it to work, it has to have righteousness. In order for the provision of poor, there has to be a desire to do that which is right. There's the problem. So, so when somebody says, well, we need to fix the problem with the homeless and, and, and the, the disadvantaged, uh, yeah, okay, I get that. Yes, Absolutely. Somebody that's without a home, somebody that's without food. Yes, those things need to be provided. But, 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 but before we go try to solve the homelessness issue, let's get this one thing straight. We need to return to God. Because that will tell us how to handle the situation. How many cities have thrown up their hands and go, we don't know what to do anymore. We don't know what to do anymore. We'll go through the homeless camp and preach the gospel. And people are like, well, there's mental health issues and there's drug issues and things of that nature. Yeah, okay. Then let's stop legalizing drugs. How about we go after those people? How about, how about we do things to prevent drugs from coming in and being manufactured? How about we focus more on that type of stuff? Like, oh, well, we'll never get that. Yeah, you know what the reason is? Is because nobody wants the righteousness of Christ. Nobody wants the righteousness of Christ. But what we find here is we find that, that because of the sin, because of the transgressions, not only were they doing away with righteousness, but they began to oppress people. They entered in, if you will, to human trafficking. Could you imagine that? 
You go and you find somebody uh, on the street, you find some homeless person, you, you, you pick them up, you dust them off, and they're like, oh, where are you taking me? Are you going to take me to get some food or something like that? No, I'm going to go take you so I can get that new pair of Nikes. I'm going to sell you into slavery. You're like, no. Hmm? What does that verse say? It says that they, what, what is it? They, they, they sold the righteousness for silver, meaning that they, 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 they compromised for riches. What do they do? The poor for, uh, for a pair of shoes. Good shoes on their feet were more important than another human being. The physical things were more important than doing what was right. That's why we don't have those type of problems fixed today. Take a look at what happens in verse 7. It says that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor, and they turn aside the way of the meek, and a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane thy holy name. They'd become pure. They were defiling themselves. It's a disgusting thing to even think about. But this is what they were doing. This is, this is what they had, had, had come upon. Again, the things of the earth were the more important things. The sin was more important than God. There was a knowledge of the, of the law. There was a knowledge of commandments. They weren't being kept. They become oppressive and unrighteous and, 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 and just, if you will, filthy. They wanted to live a life that was all physical. Take a look at chapter 6 and in verse 1, chapter 6 and in verse 1, again, painting a picture of the nation of Israel. And I will tell you this, every time the, the nation of Israel is, is mentioned here, I want you to think about this, that we see this a lot in churches today, that we see a lot of this going on in the body of Christ. We see a lot of this going on with unbelievers. And while we look at it with unbelievers and go, oh, that's horrible, we need to make sure this isn't happening in our life. Do the physical things mean more to us than the righteousness of God and the laws of God and the commandments of God? Does does the stuff that he focuses on and desires in our life, is that more important or is it more important about the physical things? In verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations of whom the house of Israel came. He, he just described both the kingdoms and he said, here's the problem. You guys are too comfortable. You're too comfortable. Why? Because you're, you're, you're at ease in Zion because you, you, you think you got God on your side. And, and, and furthermore, you're, you're, you're trusting, if you will, in the physical things and the strength. Well, what happened? Both of them fell. Both of them were taken captive. That was the judgment that Amos began to proclaim. And he says, here's the problem. You guys are just filled with, with this desire to live the high life. You just want a comfortable life. You want to trust in the in riches and the physical things and the strength of that. And verse, verse six here, it says that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. 
Now, this is an important thing because they weren't caring about the brothers. You know, after his his brothers sold him into slavery, you think Joseph's brothers were sitting there really kind of lamenting the whole situation or were they kind of glad that he was gone? And here they are saying, he's saying, look, you know, all you care about is getting drunk. All you care about is, uh, is, uh, uh, you know, anointing yourself and making yourself look and smell good, but you don't care what's going on with your brother. There's a lot of that going on in churches today. There's a lot of that going on in Christianity today. People care more about themselves than they care about anyone else. They, they they care more about uh, uh you know the, the the blessings that they're receiving from God and they're going to go into the prosperity theory in order to keep all of that another lie. They follow false doctrines, telling them God wants them to be rich. Look, riches in this life are nothing. If God wants you to be rich, he wants you to be rich in good works. He wants you to be rich in the knowledge of him. He wants you to be rich in, in, in the knowledge of his will. That, that's the important treasure that's there that the Bible talks about. But here he is, you know, showing and he's pointing out they're all about the physical luxury of life. I mean, their whole idea is, is they want to be on lifestyles of the rich and famous. I know I just dated myself with that one. <clears throat> they want Robin Leach to come visit, right? But some of you are like, what is that? And just, don't worry about it. <clears throat> don't worry about it. Something that's, that us old folks know. But, but you, you understand what I'm saying is, is that's what they wanted. They didn't care about anyone else. They didn't care about anyone else. And it's kind of the way it is today. They're like, oh, we need to help the poor. We need to help the poor. We need more money. We need more money. We need more money. I don't see any senators or congressmen stepping up saying, I will donate my $175,000 a year to feed a family, to house a family. What if we had all 50 senators do that? And 200 something representatives do that. Wouldn't that be a good start? How come they're not doing that? Oh, I'm sorry, that might hurt them. They're more concerned about their own luxury. They entered into idolatry back over there in chapter two and in verse eight, where he says they lay, they, they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar, and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. And here they are, what are they doing? They're, 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 they've entered into this idolatrous relationship with these other gods that are not really gods. And you know who's Israel God really, uh, who, whose God Israel really was? It was themselves. They just called it Baal and Himnon and Molech and everything else. They served themselves. They served themselves. 
And what's sad about it is that you take a look at chapter 3 as we paint this picture even in more detail. And in verse 2 it says, uh, uh, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. This is, this is the Lord speaking to the children of Israel. You know, that he's like so focused on them that they knew who the true God was. He says, you only have I known. He's like, I, I, I picked you. I chose you. You were nothing. And here they are boasting about themselves. I mean, over there in chapter 6 and in verse 6, you know what? They they knew the story of Joseph. Why do you think Amos brought it up? Take a look at what else they knew back over there in in, in chapter 6. And in verse 5, they knew about David. It says that chant the sound of the viol and invent themselves uh, instruments of music like David. They knew who, who King David was. They knew who Joseph was. In chapter 5 and verse 2, he talks about being in the wilderness. In chapter 5 and verse 2, he says, The virgin of Israel has fallen. She is uh, to, uh, excuse me, uh, is that the right one? Yeah, she'll rise no more. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. I don't think that's the right one that I was looking for. But anyways, where they're going into the wilderness... Here they are. They're, they're, they're aware of, of what's going on with Joseph. They're aware of what's going on, uh, that happened in the wilderness. They're aware of all of these things that are, that are, that are out there. And what is their focus? Themselves. They know all the Bible stories. How many times have we seen that? Men and women growing up in Christian homes. Knowing the laws of the Lord, but not keeping them. Entering into impure lifestyles and life of physical luxury and idolatry of themselves. Knowing that there is one true God and knowing all of those Bible studies that they learned in Sunday school. And it came upon the nation of Israel as condemnation. Judgment. In chapter 4, verse 11 they even knew what predated their own history I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew in verse 11 of chapter 4 as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah as you were a firebrand plucked out of the burning yet you have not returned unto me saith the Lord he says you're aware of what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah Let's remember what the the sin of Sodom was. The sin of Sodom was pride. That's what God said. They were more concerned about themselves than anything. The nation of Israel fell into the same trap. They fell into the same trap. You realize believers today fall into the same trap? We get lifted up with ourselves. We begin to despise the things of God. Now, we don't go out there and, and, and specifically go, oh, man, I don't want to read the Word of God. I don't like it. But you know what happens is it slowly starts creeping in. Don't have time for it anymore. It's not a priority. Things of God are not talked about in the home. 
There's no spiritual life that exists. This is the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is being painted as this nation that had this relationship with God. People knew that there was a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They they knew that there was a God of Israel that was to be feared. But here's the main issue. Here's the problem, the key verse, the key principle that we find in Amos. And in Amos chapter 3, I want you to take a look there. Amos chapter 3. He tells them he's going to punish them. But in verse 3, there it is. Can two walk together except they be agreed? You know, the Christian life is portrayed as what? A walk. Our life is portrayed as a walk, a journey, a path. Even the unbelievers talk about that. Even false false religions talk about that. You hear all that with the, with the Eastern religions and the New Age and the Buddhism and the Taoism and Confucius and all of that. They, they, they talk about this journey of life and where it leads you and into the afterlife and after the afterlife into reincarnation or whatever it may be to eventually you become nothing with the universe and you have reached nirvana. So, so the end of everything is you become nothing. I, I, I sit there and I look at this and I, I realize that even the, the, the unbeliever realizes that this life is a journey. Do we realize that this life is a walk? This Christian life? And here's, here, here, here's the biggest issue. The nation of Israel had a disagreement. And they disagreed with God. He says, can two walk together except they be agreed? If you're going to walk the same path, you have to agree upon that, right? If you're going to go down a specific place and you're going to be there at a certain time, you have to agree. You, you ever do one of those caravan things where, where you've got three or four vehicles and they've all got to keep up and you're leading them from one place to another? I did that one time with a move and, and, and we were... We were weaving back through all of these neighborhoods and stuff, and I was following really close to the guy that was leading, and, and there was cars behind us, and we're going through there. As we're kind of going through, you know, kind of moving at a good rate because we're trying to get stuff done. In the back, Abby starts singing. Bad boys, bad boys. What you going to do? I'm like, realize she's watched way too much cops at a very early age. <laughs> <laughs> she thought we were in a police pursuit, you know, you know, as they were weaving through the, you know, I was just like, oh no, this is embarrassing. <laughs> but you, you, you look at that and you go, wow. But you're always concerned about the person that's behind you because you want to make sure that they're, they're keeping up and, 
and, and, and you've got an agreed path and you're like, we're going to go this way and then we're going to turn here and then we're going to go there and then we're going to do this. And if you stay right with me, we, you know, there's got to be that agreement, right? If you're going to walk the same way and you want to get to the same place, you have got to come to an agreement. And Israel said, I don't agree with that path. I don't agree with those things. I don't agree with you, God. And when we start taking our life and we start saying, God, I'm not going to listen to your law. God, I'm not going to do those things. God, I'm going to follow after what I want and my physical pleasures and my life. And I'm going to live it my way. We're saying, God, I don't agree with you. I don't want to walk with you. I don't want to walk with you. This is this is the key important part of, of the whole entire book of, of Amos. It, it's right there in that verse. He's saying, can, can we even agree to walk with God together? How, how, how can it be? And as God's asking this question to Israel, he's saying, look, children of Israel, I, I have to punish you because you're refusing to walk the right path. How can we walk together? How can you be calling yourself children of Israel? How can you be saying that you are chosen? How can you be saying you are people of God if you are not even on the same path? And today I see a lot of people claiming to be Christians. A lot of people claiming to be Christians. But they think that, well, sin's okay. I see a lot of people that claim to be Christians that that say other things about who God is and what He's done. I see I see Christians that just flat out claim and say, "Well, the Bible's really not that important." Stuff that that, that the Lord has clearly identified as being key principles for us, they forsake him. They say, we don't want to listen to that. We just want to feel good. We 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 just want to walk out being, if you will, anointed and drinking our bowl of wine and having a good time. And, and, and if you will, just forget the sin. We're going to go ahead and just feel good about ourselves. You can't do that if you're so far gone into sin like Israel is. You can't walk with God. Now these people may be saved, born again. They may be on, you know, they've got eternal life and they're they're, they're on their way to heaven. But man, they're not acting like a Christian. Because if you ask them what Christ would think of their actions, they wouldn't have any idea. They wouldn't have any idea. It's one of the things that really irritates me when these people start talking about it and, you know, the the apologetic side of me starts kicking in when they start saying, well, Jesus Christ never talked about X and he never talked about Y. He never talked about any of those things. And I'm like, you do realize that Jesus Christ is called the word of God. So if it shows up anywhere in here, it's from him. So I see a lot of that being talked about in here. 
And I see professing Christians saying the same thing, regurgitating the same humanistic language. The end result is, is that they just wanted to walk very differently. They kind of wanted what God wanted. He told them that the kingdom was going to, you know, it was going to be established in them, and they wanted that, but they didn't want God part of it. They wanted it on their own. And interestingly enough, as I, as I pointed out, you know, over there where it says that uh, the Lord took Amos, doesn't that sound familiar? Keep your place there in, 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 uh, in uh, Amos and go over to Genesis. Genesis chapter 5. Remember a guy by the name of Enoch? In verse 24 of Genesis chapter 5, it says, And Enoch walked with who? God. They were agreed. And what happened? And he was not, for God took him. You know what that means? That means that Amos, being taken by God, and I understand what happened here with Enoch, but I also understand what happened here with Amos. There's a parallel, there's a picture that's there, and, and, and it shows that Amos was walking with God. So he could actually deliver this message saying, can two walk together except they be agreed? And here he is just walking his life, doing what he was supposed to be doing. He wasn't living some pastor's lifestyle. He wasn't living a preacher evangelist lifestyle. He wasn't out there, you know, creating some sort of mega church or anything like that. He's just out there taking care of sheep and picking fruit. God uses him and God takes him. God takes him. I don't know if he physically took him as far as he just like, oh, hey, uh, over here. I don't know if he did that. But whatever it was, God took him. God took him. He was agreeing in this. And this is something that we need to look at when we go back over there to Amos chapter 3, verse 3. There's a picture of Enoch. There's a picture of Amos here, you know, walking with God and being taken. And and we get to that verse, can two walk together except they be agreed? You know what a walk is supposed to be doing? A walk is supposed to be active. It's supposed to be an active Christian life. Walking is an action verb. You cannot stand and walk at the same time. Somebody's going to go, escalator. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying. It's an action. It's active. That means that you have to be active with God in your life. If you're going to walk with God, there has to be activity. It's not just going to happen. You have to be engaged in it. You know what else is important about it? A walk is a continuing process. What happens when you stop? Are you walking? No. He says if if two are going to walk together and they're walking, they're not standing. It's a continual thing. It's one foot in front of the other. You're walking in a continual process, not stopping. Walk, if you will, infers 
that there's a continual motion, a continual action. The nation of Israel had stopped that. They weren't walking with God. They weren't moving with him. And what happens when you walk? You move forward. You make progress. As you go down a journey, you're walking to a place. Let's say you're on one end of the mall and all of a sudden you get a craving for a Cinnabon. It's on the other side of the mall. What do you do? You walk to that destination to get that reward. (laughs) You walk and you're making progress along the way. How frustrating would it be to try to walk and, and, and you don't get anywhere? They call that a treadmill. <laughs> and there you are, and you're just not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. And you just, it seems like you're spinning your wheels. But a walk with God that is agreed upon is one that is, if you will, active, and it is continual, and there's progression. We have people today calling themselves progressive, saying that they're moving forward, when actually they're moving the opposite direction. They're not even moving forward. I dare say they're not even moving backward. They're moving down. They're moving down. But the idea is is that there should be forward progress. We should be able to say and look back on our life and go, I used to be over there, but now I'm over here because I'm walking with God. Because I'm walking with God. But Israel refused. They wouldn't walk. Over there in, in, in chapter 7, we saw that they refused. Go tell that somewhere else, Amos. We don't want to listen to it here. Go tell that somewhere else. We don't want to listen to it. In chapter 4, in verse 12, uh, uh, again, he says this. He says, "Thus, therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. He says, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to perform this judgment because you won't listen. That's a terrifying phrase right there that he just said. I got a big old sign that I wish I could put up, but the city won't allow it. It says, prepare to meet thy God. That's a terrifying thing. Are we prepared to meet God? If you were to stand in front of him right now and he said, why should I let you in? Oh, I've been a good person? That doesn't mean anything. Jeff Bezos is a good person, right? He gives tons of money to the poor. Well, he could give all of it. Oh, okay, so we're going to judge goodness then, huh? The only reason that you get into heaven is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the power of his resurrection. And you simply say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved my soul. That's it. There's no other way. And we see here very clearly that one of the things that we go back to Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, it says there has to be an agreement. And I want to wrap it up with this. We think about this walk. We think about this Christian life. We think about the nation of Israel. They have to be in agreement. You know what that means? It means it's mutual. 
Every single day, I'm dealing with agreements, legal documents, contracts. And you know what it is? It's two parties or three parties or how many ever parties coming together and agreeing somebody is going to provide these services because somebody wants these services and they're going to pay for those services. It's an agreement. There's mutual benefit for both parties. There's a mutual desire to provide and receive the same type of services and products. There's, there's a mutual understanding. But I'll tell you this. When we agree upon God, we realize there's a mutual goal. There's a mutual aim to the end. And that is for the glory of God. That is for pleasing Him. The nation of Israel, there were all about pleasing themselves. And God said, Israel, it's not about you. It's never been about you. We realize the importance behind that simple little verse and the whole entire pivot of the nation of Israel on that one verse. Can two, Israel and God, can they walk together except they be agreed? And the answer is no. If they're not agreed, they cannot walk together. God's not going to agree to accept your sin. You have to agree that God will forgive your sin. You have to agree that the payment was paid upon the cross. You have to agree that the only reason that you have eternal life is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You have to agree that the laws and the commandments and the word of God is a principle of your life and is your final authority. You have to agree on that. If you can't agree, you're disagreeing with God. You ever have a disagreement with somebody? And sometimes people say, well, we'll just agree to disagree. I get that. But there is no agree to disagree with God. You either agree with God, or as he says, prepare to meet God. Balaam was on his way to do something he wasn't. He met God along the way. He was supposed to be doing what he was doing, and he met God along the way, didn't he? There was an angel that was there delivering a message from God. Paul was on his way to deliver Christians into bondage. And what happened? He met God along the way. I tell you this, you continue so far and so long and so hard into sin, at some point in time, God's going to stand there. And he's going to say, are you prepared? Are you prepared for what happens next? Are we prepared to meet God? Can we walk with God if we're not agreed? The answer is no. The encouragement for 2023 to start off this year is this. Take a look at your walk. Are you walking with him? Are you on the same path? Do you have the same goal? 
Do you have the same desire? Do you have the same purpose that God has given to you? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Let's stand for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. I thank you again, Lord, for just this small little thought that you've included in the book of Amos that is so great a principle that we realize that we cannot walk with you unless we agree with you. And it's not a partial agreement, Lord. It's agreement fully. Lord, I pray you will work in our hearts that we would understand that. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts that we would agree to receive your will, to do your will, that we would agree to follow your word, your desires, and not our own. Lord, we know what the end result of the nation of Israel is. We know what happened to them. We know that judgment came upon them. And Lord, we all know we're kidding ourselves if we continue in sin and think that we will not be judged because of it. Lord, the Bible says that you chasten those that you love. Lord, may we really, truly seek to walk with you, to do your will, to please you in that walk, to walk worthy as you've called us to do. Thank you again, Lord, for what you've given to us in your word. And I ask and I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.